Welcome to The Workplace, where we're hot on the trail of what makes great workplace cultures tick and what we can all do to make the ones we work in better. I'm Andrew Scarcell. This episode, we're talking with author and designer Ingrid Fatel Lee about joy, why it's not the same as happiness, and what we can change about the places we work to make our jobs and ourselves more joyful. Join us after the interview for Tangible Takeaways, where we'll talk about the ideas and actions we can take with us and implement in our own workplace cultures. Ingrid Fatelli is an experienced designer and author of Joyful, The Surprising Power of Ordinary Things to Create Extraordinary Happiness. She's also the founder of the website The Aesthetics of Joy, which helps people to find more joy in life and work through design. Ingrid's immensely popular TED Talk, Where Joy Hides and How to Find It, has been viewed more than 17 million times. So no one tell her how many people listen to this podcast, okay? Ingrid was interviewed by Lindsay Nicola, a speechwriter, producer, public relations specialist, and neighborhood handywoman. Hi, Lindsay. Welcome back to The Workplace. I'm very happy to be back. What was it like talking about joy and workplace culture? Because it's kind of a weird thing, you know? You don't really... You're supposed to be serious at work, you know? You're supposed to be solemn, you know? So... What did uh, what did you take away from your conversation with Ingrid? Yeah, you know, I think that oftentimes when we think about work, we think about how we present ourselves and we get really into that idea of I need to be a certain way at the office and people need to think of me in a very specific way. And if you asked someone to do a Venn diagram of how you should act in, in the workplace and joy, they probably wouldn't make the circles meet, Just a right? little, maybe a little sliver. Just a little sliver. But it should actually be more than that because, I mean, research does show that people are looking for connection in the workplace. But how can you connect with someone if you're not being true to who you are? Happiness and joy, uh, really, they do go hand in hand with uh, the workplace experience if you, if you let them do that. And I think that, um, you know, Ingrid said it is a vulnerable thing to to expose how you experience joy. And um, I agree with that. It takes a lot of bravery to say, these are the things that I find joy in. This is what I'm I'm really happy about in the moment. And um, being able to do that at work really lets people know who you are and it allows those connections to happen. So it actually is a really important component to how you bring yourself to the office every day. Mm. Uh, I was really struck by how she talked about the differences between happiness and joy. And uh, I think that's one of the first things you guys get into. So uh, let's just listen. Well, Ingrid, welcome to the workplace. Thank you for joining us today. So happy to be with you. Um, My first question for you is, I think one you've probably had before, but Americans are raised to believe in the pursuit of happiness, but you say we should pursue joy. What's the difference and what direction would you point us in? Right. Those terms are often used interchangeably in our culture. And so 
we often don't think of them as being different things. But in fact, psychologically speaking, they are different things. So happiness is a broad evaluation of how you feel about your life over time. So if you were to think about how happy you are on a scale of 1 to 10 right now, it's hard to just sort of put your finger in the air and go, I'm a seven, right? Most of us don't do that. We have to think about how we feel about our work, whether we feel like we are connected to other people, whether we feel like we have a sense of meaning and purpose, how we feel about our health. All of those different things go into this complex equation of how happy we are. And sometimes that can feel a little bit vague. It can be hard to put a finger on. Joy is much simpler and more immediate. So when psychologists use the word joy, what they usually mean is an intense momentary experience of positive emotion. And this is something we can measure through direct physical expressions. It might be things like smiling or laughter or a feeling of wanting to jump up and down, this feeling that there's something inside you that wants to burst out. It's so good. I like to think of them as the moments where we feel a little bit more alive. And... I think we often tend to associate happiness with big things happening in our life, like getting a promotion, meeting our life partner, uh, buying a house. And that can often take us away from joy, right? We postpone those little moments of joy while we're working on the promotion. We spend less time with our friends and family, or we don't engage in our hobbies. And so By focusing on happiness, we often move away from joy. But by focusing on joy, these little moments every day, they start to add up over time. And so I usually do people point people in the direction of joy because I think that those little moments, though they're small, over time can have a lot of power. You said that one key component of joy and happiness is feeling a connection to other people. And I think in the workplace, we have kind of moved into an era where most workplaces are open workplaces. So you are interacting a lot more with other individuals on a day-to-day basis. You're seeing a lot more faces because you're not in a cubicle. But at the same time, I think that there is um, kind of a sense that maybe an open workplace isn't the best sort of situation for people to be working in. So how do you kind of, how do you navigate that? The open workplace question is so interesting because there are people who are strong believers on both sides, right? Um, I think that when I look at it from a spatial perspective with a designer's eye, um, one of the things that I notice is a principle called prospect and refuge. This principle was coined by the British geographer Jay Appleton, and he coined it to explain why we love certain landscapes. When we look out at an open savanna, one of the things we love about open landscapes is being able to see, right, this idea of prospect. Um, That makes us feel safe when we can see for a distance, Um, and it gives us a feeling of joy. We often find open landscapes being a source of joy for people. So From that perspective, the open plan is a good thing, right? We're not boxed in. We have a sense of freedom. But the other side of the coin, refuge, is just as important. And refuge is the ability to take cover, the ability to feel held and protected, to know that if we needed to, we could duck in a cave or climb up a tree. And so we love landscapes that aren't just like flat and open, right, but have little copses of trees that we could duck into or climb up. And the same, I think, is true in the open plan office. The open plan offices that have proliferated generally have all prospect and no refuge, right? There's no place to take cover when you need a little bit of alone time, when you need focus or quiet or space. Um, So I think that 
you know, I, I do believe that open plan offices can be conducive to those kinds of joyful interactions, but they can also be really noisy. And so being able to find a balance between prospect and refuge can be a way to make them uh, to enjoy the, the joyful parts of them without having some of the, the negatives. How does judgment stifle joy and why is it easier to judge and so difficult to let ourselves experience joy as we get older? We seem to have a cultural bias that views joy as childish. And this is really deep, it runs very deep in our culture. Um, so, for example, um, Gota, writing in 1810, talked about how um, savage nations, uneducated people, and children typically prefer vivid, bright colors. And vivid and bright colors are, of course, one of the uh, most obvious aesthetic signs of joy in our in our lives and in our culture. Um, but people of refinement avoid them and try to banish them from their presence. So we see that for a very long time we've had this association that things that we find joy in, whether that's play or being a little bit silly or whether that's bright color, those things are often judged as childish or um, immature. And... Um, the result of this is that we often feel that as we get older, we have to hold ourselves back from joy. Children are born joyful. If you if you go to the supermarket with one, you can see, right? Even a routine errand can be a source of play and wonder. But under the, the strain of that judgment, the fear of that judgment, we all start to hold ourselves back a little bit. And... Over time, that can lead us to lose touch with what really brings us joy. Um, so it's a question of, one, you know, being able to face that judgment, give ourselves permission to enjoy the things we, jo we enjoy, um, and also sometimes reconnecting with it because at times we become so estranged from it because we've faced this judgment our whole lives that we, we don't even remember. And so a lot of my work is actually about how do we reconnect with that? How do we get back in touch with that? And I think it's especially true in the workplace. Talk to me about the role that vulnerability plays in that journey. It's a vulnerable thing to admit what you find joy in sometimes right? Um, it can be, it can expose you to judgment. And so there is a bravery, I think, in embracing your joy. Being the first one on the dance floor is a brave thing, right? It's a vulnerable thing. Um, wearing something that is colorful in an office where people wear gray suits, that makes you vulnerable. And that is brave. And so I think it's a question of recognizing that the joy you get out of it is more than the risk. And that the judgment holds you in a smaller life. And by embracing the risk and the vulnerability of it, you open up space for what could be a much bigger life. And I find that when people actually do it, they're celebrated in a way that they never expected. And it becomes easier to take those risks over time that I mean, someone was messaging me the other day about, you know, how they were wearing like a bright yellow jumpsuit and the comments that she got were so reinforcing, right, that it made her feel empowered to do it again. So stress and burnout are becoming standard measurements for employee well-being. 
how can we combat these states in the workplace? How would you do that? I think burnout, we tend to think about it as a question only of stress. But there's research that shows that joy can have an impact on our long-term resilience. So if you think about the way that we evolved to feel stress, we evolved to have sort of a peak and then uh, a rest state, right? To come down off that peak. We're being chased by a lion and all of our stress hormones fire and that activates us to deal with the situation, to run faster than we ever thought possible. And when we're out of danger, all of those systems reset. And the problem is that now the lions are in our phones, right? They're with us all the time. And so burnout becomes a very real consequence of having the, you know, the cortisol, the adrenaline firing all the time. And the problem is not just, I think, you know, for workers wearing out, but long-term consequences for our heart. Research shows that small moments of joy can help reset the cardiovascular system so that they play a role in that recovery cycle. Um, and so we have a tendency to want to postpone joy till after we have the big presentation or big meeting. And, and I think that's a mistake because those little moments of joy can help reset in an ongoing way the, the body's stress response, allowing us to be more resilient over the long haul. I'm curious about the role of joy and social media today. Um, do you sacrifice anything when you're paying attention to life online? I think it's all in how you use it. I think that if you find that spending time on social media makes you feel like you're comparing yourself to others and that's what what comes up for you when you spend time there, then that's dangerous because we know that, you know, as Teddy Roosevelt said, comparison is the thief of joy. And that when we feel um, that's our focus, when we're focusing, again, sort of on the happiness side of things, on the milestones, I'm not there yet and someone else is, when we fixate on that, that is dangerous. But I do think that social media can be an occasion for many small joys and for the savoring of small joys. And one of the things that I started doing um, when I first started working on this this work about joys, I started joy spotting. And joy spotting is basically just a mindfulness practice where I notice, you know, small things in my surroundings that bring me joy. It might be a balloon caught in a tree or um, it might be a flower poking up through the sidewalk that doesn't seem like it belongs there. And I started taking photos of these things and putting the hashtag joy spotting on them. And then other people started doing it. And now there's a community of joy spotters who... I think are really using social media in the way that it was originally intended, which is I saw this thing, it brought me joy, and I wanted to share it with you. And we know that sharing small moments of joy can deepen relationships and it can increase our own joy. So if you use it in that way, I think it can be a, a powerful enhancement to the, the joy you're finding in your daily life. How would you, Ingrid, change the modern workplace to cultivate more joy? I would start with the physical workspace itself because I think that the workspaces that we have were designed for a different model of work. They were designed when we believed that it was kind of like time and effort in equals productivity out. It was a very mechanistic 
style of work. And I really didn't consider the, the you know, the physiology or the the connection between the mind and the and the body. I think the first thing is I would focus on the senses. There's research that shows that when people work in an enriched environment, an environment that has plants and art, as opposed to when they work in a lean work environment, those sort of drab, dull cubicle farms that we're all familiar with, people are 15% more productive in an enriched work environment. And I think about what you would have to do to get 15% more productivity, right? Any other initiative is probably going to be much more time-intensive and expensive than plants and art. So that's a really easy place to start. Um, I think plants are really powerful for another reason. Um, There's research that shows that, again, the way that we used to think about attention in the workplace was that we just didn't want to distract people. But now we know that attention is a finite resource, right? And that it, it tapers as the day goes on and we can only focus for so long. And there's one thing that's better than anything else at restoring our attention and that's nature. And so being able to bring in a little bit more um, of nature into the, into the often very sterile workplace, uh, not only helps us restore our concentration, um, but it reduces anxiety. It actually reduces the physical markers of stress like blood pressure. Um, And in some studies has been shown to make people more generous toward others. Um, And then the other thing is to really think about uh, creating a space that energizes people and makes them feel upbeat. So um, there are studies that show that color can be a big part of this cross-cultural research of workplaces in countries as diverse as Saudi Arabia, um, Argentina, and Sweden shows that people working in more colorful work environments are more alert, confident, friendly, and joyful than people working in drab spaces. So there's something about color that is deeper than surface level. And the other piece of that is light. And um, many studies show that, you know, light, of course, regulates our circadian rhythms and that light can help us be more energetic during the day and even sleep better at night. Workers who have sunnier desks sleep 46 minutes more a night than workers at um, dim, dull-lit desks. So it has an effect on worker well-being that goes well beyond um, the effect of just, you know, changing the light bulbs or providing more access to windows. What is an area in society today where you wish that you could spark more joy and how would you do it? I feel really strongly that we should be thinking about how to create more joy for people in underserved populations and particularly um, the poor. I think that we have an association of joy with being a luxury and therefore people who are living in poverty don't really deserve um, some of these joyful touches that we readily put into our homes and our hotels and our restaurants. And so if you look at housing projects, homeless shelters, and prisons, I think that a lot of these spaces are designed to be punitive. Um, They're designed to be Spartan. They're designed to, um, to be bare. And the problem is that These things aren't luxuries. They're part of what make us feel alive and human. And so if you look at, you know, there's research, for example, that shows that housing projects that have more greenery around them have 
radically reduced rates of crime and that prisons that have uh, nature infused into them, that when, when inmates were allowed to watch nature videos, for example, that violent incidents reduced um, by 26%. Um, so bringing nature, bringing color, bringing vibrancy, softening the hard edges, I believe that that is a vital thing for us, not just for the people living in those conditions, but it's a it's the right thing for us to do as a society. How would you describe your workplace? I spend a lot of my days working out of a women's co-working space and a social club called The Wing. And The Wing is a really special space because it was designed from the ground up for women. And there's some pink in there. Um, it is definitely more vibrant than the average workspace, but not in a garish way. The colors are soft. It's been really designed with women's bodies in mind. The heights of the tables and the chairs accommodate women's bodies. Um, the temperature is never too cold, um, which is something women often find a problem in uh, traditional workspaces, which are often kept very cold. And um, and and that actually has an impact on productivity. Um, there are blankets in a basket near, right nearby. Should you ever find yourself too chilly and need one, and the power of working in a space like this—that's brightly lit—and it really, actually, when I saw it, I thought, "Oh, this really incorporates all of the principles that I talk about in my research." Um, so it's a very joyful thing to get to work in a space like that and to see the the impact it has on the way that people treat each other and the way they treat the space. It's a, it's a very joyful place to work. Why do the places that we work have such a huge impact on our lives? What, what happened to It's Just a Job? The consulting firm A.T. Carney did a study recently um, where they asked people, uh, how much joy they expect to find at work. And 90% of people said they expect to find joy at work, but only 37% of people said they actually found high levels of joy at work. That 90% number tells me that we don't really acknowledge that separation, that that was always a false divide. And that what we want to do is live lives of joy and meaning and purpose. And work is where we spend half our waking hours, and sometimes more. So to me, the idea that joy and work should be separate um, is a relic of the past. I'm happy to see it go. And I think now it's a question of employers catching up to the desire of workers um, on that front and recognizing that it doesn't have to be a circus, right? You don't have to have a game room. You don't have to, you know, have a giant slide in the middle of your office. That's not what it's about. It is about creating an environment where I feel healthy and whole. Um, I can focus on the things that matter to me. I don't leave feeling drained, but I feel energized. I can make real connections with other people. And part of that is environment, and part of that is culture, and part of that is your values and how you bring that into um, the the work that people are doing every day. And when all those things are together, I think we have joyful workplaces. And it's telling that I think that people working for younger companies um, in this study done by A.T. Carney um, 
tended to find more joy because I think it, in the early days of a startup, it tends to be easier to to connect to those values and the purpose behind the work. Um, and I know entrepreneurs often feel a lot of joy in their work as well. Um, so I think it's it's bringing that into every workplace. What advice do you have for individuals who want to bring more joy into their workspace? I think the first thing you can do is to model the behavior, right? Um, so if you work in an office where people are always wearing dull colors, you can show up with a brightly colored scarf one day and just um, you can test the waters in small ways. Um, you can do it with your desk space, even if you only have a small desk space. Um, maybe it's uh, you know adding a lamp and a brightly colored cushion, bringing in a, a plant, bringing in a few plants and putting them on a ledge where others can see them and starting to invite people to take care of them with you. Um, it might be just getting a brightly colored coffee mug that you get to see every day. There are lots of things that you can do with your, your own individual space and the way that you show up to work to, to bring that joy. Um, you can do it through small surprises for other people. Uh, there are studies that show that when we bring small surprises into the workplace. That might be a post-it note on a friend's desk to encourage them when they have a big presentation. It might be um, leaving them a cupcake, a surprise cupcake, or decorating their desk with a, you know, a, a little garland of, of office supplies when they um, have something big to share. Um, but just little things like that have a contagious effect in the workplace. They multiply. And the people tend not just to pay it back to the giver, but they actually pay it forward, sometimes 15-fold in a workplace. Um, so that's powerful. So I think you can start with your own behavior and then radiate it outwards and see what happens. What's the last book or article that you read that you are still thinking about? I recently read a small book. It's like a chat book um, called Proposals for the Feminine Economy. And it is an interesting look at patriarchal culture and how that manifests in the way that our businesses and workplaces function. And I think that for me, the you know one of the most powerful principles in it is create new definitions of success um, and, and really think about what does happiness look like to you? What does joy look like? What is well-being? And how does that get incorporated into your work? That it's not that you work to support all those other things in the rest of your life, but that, that those things are fully integrated. Um, so yeah, I'm still, I'm still noodling on a, a few of them. Another one is about creating an abundance mindset and thinking about that. I think that's a really interesting notion for companies because I, I've noticed um, through my many years of design consulting when companies get into a scarcity mindset, that is usually the first sign of a loss of joy within a company. And when there's an abundance mindset um, that we are out here growing and we are helping others grow and thrive, and so that can be shared with everyone, that tends to provide a foundation for a joyful company. So it's something that's been making me think more deeply about the values that promote joy within an organization. What technologies should we use more? Books. 
I think reading, I think there are a lot of basic technologies, um, FaceTime, things that bring us face-to-face with other people, uh, text messages as opposed to um, tweeting, right? I think things that connect us one-to-one. I recently talked with a technologist about how to use technology in a joyful way. And one of the things that she said that really stayed with me was the idea of co-using, that one of the things that teenagers do really well is they get together around a device. Um, They make playlists together around one device. They play games um, where they're all sort of looking at one device together. They look at photos together. I think the more we do that kind of thing, use the technology to connect us, um, I think those things are, are valuable. What technology should we use less? Well, I think, again, it's all about how we use it. And so if we're using our phones to create or to connect, great. But if we're using our phones to zone out and kill time and avoid things, then I think those are are times we should be using our phones less. I generally think we should use our phones less in the morning. I think that starting the day with a clear head and space um, can open up lots of things in life. Um, So maybe that's one thing I would say to to do less. How do you think that the workplace will be different 10 years from now? I can only hope that our workplaces will be more reflective of the understanding that human beings are not automatons, but we are fully integrated mind-body systems, and that actually a lot of the thinking we do is in our bodies, not just our minds, that they'll acknowledge the senses more, that um, the technology will allow us to spend less time just staring at screens um, and be more dynamic in the way that we create and get our work done. Um, That may not be 10 years out, but it would be my hope. Who are your heroes? Lately, I've been finding Elizabeth Warren to be a real hero. I am just really struck by her journey and her way of communicating it and the way that she shares difficult concepts without ever talking down to anyone and the way that she honors the people who show up for her by showing up for them. The story of how she waited four hours in the selfie line um, in Washington Square Park this week was really powerful to me because I, it's a really strong belief I have that you show up for the people who show up for you and she models that. So that's someone. Um, Another hero of mine is a woman who was my next-door neighbor growing up. Um, Her name is Jean Craighead-George, and she was a children's book author. Um, She wrote a book called My Side of the Mountain and another one, Julia the Wolves, and they were um, very celebrated books. But she was always accessible. Um, I used to come across the street with a a nest I'd found or a frog that I'd fished out of the pool and wondering what to do with it. And um, she was a naturalist by training, and she loved the natural world, and she loved children. And so to be in her presence, um, she just always fostered my 
curiosity and my belief that um, there were there were wonders out there that could be discovered. Well, Ingrid, thank you so much for your time today. We really have enjoyed this conversation so much. Thank you so much for having me. Now it's time for Tangible Takeaways, where we take big ideas up to 10,000 feet in our Cessna 208 Grand Caravan, strap them to our chest, and count down from three, two, one, before hurling ourselves into a cloudless Nevada sky, free-falling for 30 seconds of pure, adrenaline-filled bliss. The first is that joy isn't happiness. It's much simpler and more immediate than that. When Ingrid talks about joy, what she means is an intense, momentary experience of positive emotion. Something that makes you smile, makes you laugh. The little things, day to day, that give us energy and connect us to other people. A chance conversation with a friend you haven't seen in a while. A moment of peace while watering your plants. Watching a hummingbird outside dance amongst the flowers. A note of gratitude left on your desk. That's joy. The second is that if you want more joy in your work, start with the place. The physical spaces we work in have gone through a lot of iterations since the day corner offices first turned into carpet-sided cubicles, which gave way to open floor plans, which turned into work from home for now, which will undoubtedly turn into work from home forever for more than a few people. Still, wherever we work, Ingrid's four pillars of joyful spaces can be applied to relieve stress, improve productivity, reduce burnout, and generally help us feel more human. The four pillars are plants, art, color, and light. Plants, because nature is calming. Art, because visual stimulation reduces fatigue. Color, because vibrant workspaces make people more friendly. And light, or more specifically, natural light, because it helps us stay alert and helps us sleep better. According to Ingrid, people who have sunnier desks sleep 46 minutes more a night than workers at dim, poorly lit desks. And I know what you're thinking, but putting out a bowl of free vitamin D supplements isn't going to cut it. The third is that even if you're working from home, you can still be a role model for joy in your workplace. Wear something colorful for your video calls. Surround yourself with plants or art. Or better yet, do surprise donut deliveries to a different coworker each week. I know that I slip into a bit of a work-from-home coma from time to time, so I'm going to try to be more of a source for joy for my fellow team members. And you should too. It's been a tough year, and we could all use a little more joy in our lives, or at least more donuts. This episode was written and read by yours truly, with additional writing, production, and sound design 
by Daniel Foster Smith. If you liked this episode, or even if you didn't, please rate, review, and of course, subscribe to The Workplace on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a burning question about workplace culture or a story about why your workplace is the best or worst, send it to theworkplace at octanner.com. The Workplace is sponsored by OC Tanner, the global leader in engaging workplace cultures. OC Tanner's Culture Cloud provides a single, modular suite of apps for influencing and improving employee experiences through recognition, career anniversaries, well-being, leadership, and more. If you want your organization to become a place where people can't wait to come to work in the morning, go to octanner.com.